The following program is being brought to you on the Seventh Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit SeventhWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tong. This program will provide the groundwork you need to advance your awareness and be involved in the approaching transformation in consciousness. Now, your host, Peter Tong. Hello and welcome to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. And I'm your host, Peter Tong. Thank you for joining us today. The intention in these episodes is to give you insights into how the planet is shifting in frequency and vibration to a new level of awareness and how you can be part of this grand awakening. And I'm absolutely delighted to bring to you four shows in the month of December, a Christmas gift for you, uh, all presenters at the Science and Non-Duality conference that I attended uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, we have next week Florian Schlosser, who will be talking about the infinite flow of love and freedom, followed by Lynn McTaggart on December the 21st, who will be talking about the bond and the intention experiment in the field. And on December 28th, John Hagelin, who will be talking about consciousness and free energy and how they, uh, they link together through the science and spirituality. And today I am absolutely delighted to, have, uh, to get this month off to a great start Peter Russell joining me, who will be talking about consciousness and what that is and, and how uh, science has somewhat struggled to get, uh, get its head around consciousness. Originally, we had uh, Shauna Shapiro joining us today as well, but unfortunately, she has not been able to join us for the show. So, Peter, you're taking it over on your own. Welcome to the show. Nice to be with you, Peter. So you have a fascinating background, which has brought you to this point. So I'd love you just to uh, inform our listeners a little bit about how things developed for you in your own life. Yes, well, initially I had um, very little interest in sort of the mind and consciousness. I suppose I a little bit. You know, as a kid, I was sort of, you know, doing things like kids do, you know, playing, whirling myself around, you know, and producing funny states of consciousness. But I was really interested in science and physics and particularly mathematics. And so I was also doing very well at it. So... When I went to university, I went to Cambridge in England. It was just my obvious choice to to study mathematics, and I was doing very well at it and enjoying it. And then there came a time where I just realised that it wasn't going to answer the real fascinating questions about the universe. It was like here I was studying, you know, how I was studying quantum physics. You know how the hydrogen atom worked, and it's fascinating that from pure mathematics you can actually start developing an understanding of hydrogen from Schrodinger's equation. Absolutely fascinating, but you know, that's how the universe started, from hydrogen. But the question was, how on earth had hydrogen, which is just you know an inert, colorless gas, 
had evolved into all these other elements and systems to ultimately produce human beings who could study hydrogen, which meant, you know, where had mind come in? Where had consciousness come into the whole thing? And the more I went on, the more I thought this was a really fascinating question. It was so about the it mind is, and It is fascinating, though, that you started this at, at the point of the beginning, really, through the hydrogen atom. Yes, I, that's what I was studying, because that's one of the great achievements of modern science, is that we can actually, you know, you can begin to you know, do the mathematics of an element like hydrogen. And at that time, you, you were closely connected with uh, Dr. Stephen Hawking. I was indeed, yes. I was, um, he was my supervisor. There's a system in Cambridge, which is probably only in Oxford and Cambridge in England. You may have it in a few other universities, whereby you're assigned to a postgraduate student who becomes your personal supervisor, and you meet with them every week, and they go through the materials, etc. It's like I suppose it's like having a, a tutor. It's not called a tutor; it's called a supervisor. But it's basically a tutor. You have an individual tutor, and so for a while in my third year, he was my he was my tutor, so to speak. And so I I met with him every week, and he, you know, helped me understand stuff. And at that stage, he could still walk and talk. He was. His illness was beginning to come on, but he wasn't even in a wheelchair. He could get around with crutches, and his speech was getting a bit slurred, but he hadn't lost his vocal cords or anything. And what was it like, was what was it like working under him? He was fascinating. He was really funny. I mean, it shows now. I mean, he has a sense of humor. He really had a good sense of humor then. It doesn't sort of show to look at him. He wouldn't think, oh, this guy doesn't look very funny, but he really was. And obviously very smart. He was doing his early work on black holes then. And, and very humble, very humble. Yes, he was just, like, doing his work because he loved it. And I, I enjoyed it. It was a great privilege. And we knew then that he was destined for great things. We knew he was going to be somebody important, even though he was just then in his, what, mid-late 20s, something like that. So here you are, then. You, you also potentially was, was destined for greatness in the world of quantum physics and mathematics and, and moved away from it. So there must have been a a really compelling uh, yearning or something inside of you that made that or helped you make that decision? Yes, it was a sort of, it was a frustration. I just, I knew I wasn't happy. I wouldn't be happy going on doing the mathematics. And I didn't quite know what it was I wanted to do. I just knew this wasn't right. And I, so I sort of, I, I just explored. I thought maybe it was philosophy and then I realized philosophy at Cambridge was just a study of dead philosophers. I wanted to sort of do <laughs> philosophy. And then I thought maybe psychology, well, experimental psychology, which is what is called neuroscience today, which is an understanding of the brain. I thought that would really help me. And I, I did a year's study of psychology, and no one was interested in consciousness. There were, you know, I learned a lot about the brain and how the brain works and tension and memory and perception and the chemistry of the brain and all of that but no one was really interested in consciousness itself and I realized the people who were interested in that were actually the yogis and saints and people who studied consciousness firsthand and it struck me this is the way you study consciousness is by observing it in yourself and that's what a number of people have done and they're not part of the Western academic path and so I went off to India and, and studied meditation and, and listened to various teachers out there and that was when I think I really found my way.
So, so talk a little bit about uh, consciousness and, and obviously the science background that you had and, and sort of this, the seeking the ob- so-called objective truth of science and mathematics and, and, and how you have discovered that consciousness fits into all of this. Yes, it's, well, as you said at the beginning, science has a huge problem with consciousness and I think part of the problem is the word. Um, consciousness is a noun. As soon as you put any SS on the end of any adjective, you turn it into a noun. And it's really, what it refers to is the state of being conscious, the quality of being conscious. And so consciousness as a thing doesn't exist. I mean, we are conscious of things. We are conscious. And that is something, you know, every one of us knows. Every single one of us knows we are a conscious being, by which I mean an experiencing being. We have thoughts, we have experiences, we see the world around us. All of this is happening in our minds. We are conscious of it all. We are aware. And that, to me, is, is absolutely undeniable. And so the question is, where, where does this come from, this ability to be conscious? And so it isn't, it isn't something like a thing out in the world that we can discover or measure and yet it's something which we know so deeply. In fact, you could say it's the basis of all science. If we, if, we did, if we were not aware, if we did not think, if we did not have experiences, we wouldn't be doing science. All of science takes place in the mind. And so in a way, being conscious is the fundamental quality of mind. It's what mind is all about, is experiencing. And... View in modern science, and it was the view that I was brought up with, was that somehow the brain does this. Somehow the brain creates this ability to have an experience. And yet there's huge problems with that. I mean, certainly the brain affects what we experience. I mean, it's pretty well established now that probably everything that happens in our mind has a correlating aspect in the brain and we can find you know affect the brain this way and we change our experience that's well established that the brain conditions our experience conditions consciousness but does it actually create that ability to be aware and that's the interesting question and the assumption is it does but there's a lot of problems when you have that it's like how does it do that and we assume that matter Cells, atoms, molecules, simple cells aren't conscious, they aren't aware. So how does unconscious matter ever give rise to what we know as experience? And that's, that's the big question that science has been trying to grapple with and hasn't got any answers yet. There's lots of different theories, but no answers yet. So essentially, how can we go from a single hydrogen atom to the human being that can think about working out how the first hydrogen atom began. Exactly. Where does consciousness kick in in that process? Exactly. And so, you know, we, we assume hydrogen is, you know, not conscious. Um, molecules aren't. And, you know, more we go up, we assume, you know. So somewhere, you know, we, I think we, we accept that other animals experience that they're conscious. I mean, a dog clearly, you know, seems to, you know, experience its world. It feels pain and it clearly has experiences. In fact, if we didn't believe a dog was conscious, 
we wouldn't give it an anaesthetic when we operated. I mean, why would we make an animal unconscious if we didn't believe it was conscious in the first place? So clearly we accept that other animals have experiences. You know, do fish? I would think so. I mean, I have a, you know, great difficulty if I caught a fish, you know, skinning it alive. I don't even like catching fish because I assume it feels pain. It may not think like we do, but, you know, I assume it's, it's got its own realm of experience. So the question is, you know, where did consciousness come in? And the problem is that wherever you draw the line, you know, if you say, well, you know, maybe reptiles don't, but, or whatever, or, or fish do, but maybe insects don't. Wherever you draw the line, you have to explain this sort of magic thing that happened, that how did unconscious matter suddenly start having an internal experience. So, Peter, we're actually coming up to our first break, and that's a great point to stop. Okay. And, uh, and I, I, I'm suspecting you're going to give us an answer when we come back. <laughs> this is Peter Tung with Peter Russell for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. Be Extraordinary. Seventh Wave Network. Do you want to reach your highest potential in your personal and business life? Come and join our heart-centered community with Peter Tung and Sherry Chase. Embrace love, abundance, integrity, and personal empowerment in a safe and sacred space for your awakening. Our intention is to lay the groundwork for you to advance your awareness efficiently, to be fully involved in the conscious co-creation of peace and prosperity on our beautiful planet. Go to MyHeartCenteredJourney.com for more information. The new home for visionary positive change. Seventh Wave Network. listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host Peter Tong. Just a reminder to go to my own website, www.petertung.com. My latest uh, newsletter there has uh, articles on both the Scorpio workshop that we did and the 11-11-11 wonderful day that we spent uh, out in the landscape. And also www.myheartcenteredjourney.com with the Ambassadors of Light program. And we have a show before Christmas on Thursday the 15th of December beginning at 530 I have with me today Peter Russell, and we are talking about the challenges that science has faced with an understanding or an explanation of consciousness. So, Peter, it seems to me there needs to be a, a different look at this and how this, this needs to be viewed from a different perspective. Yes, exactly. And there's a growing body of thought now that is suggesting, which is, you know, it sounds a very heretical idea, but more and more people are beginning to take it seriously, is that this ability to have an experience isn't created by 
or from the material world. It was actually always there, but it wasn't sort of noticed before. So just as, you know, I was talking about fish, I mean, clearly, you know, what goes on in the fish's mind is much, much less than ours. It doesn't think, it probably doesn't have feelings as we know them, it probably just sees its world and sort of has sensations, but it, its consciousness is a lot less than ours. And similarly, the spiders would be much less still, but there's still something there. And this new model says there's never a point at which it came in. You, you know, a bacterium has very, 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 very faint awareness. Nothing, you know, nothing like a spider's even. But it doesn't, it isn't completely blank. It isn't completely unconscious. And this view says that basically that ability to have an experience is an intrinsic part of life itself. And you cannot separate life from being aware. And so... Very, very simple life has very, very simple awareness. And as life has evolved and got more complex, so what goes on in the mind gets richer and richer and more complex. And so, you know, with us, with human beings, we have incredibly rich experiences because we not only see the world, we think about it, we, we feel things, we have intuitions, all of this going on in our mind. But th this is the radical new idea, which is, it, it isn't mainstream yet, but more and more people are beginning to say this actually resolves the problem because we don't have to explain how it is that unconscious matter could give rise to something so totally different as experience. It's just saying that potential for experience was always there in life. And as life has evolved, so the quality of the experience has evolved with it. So if the consciousness then was already there, um, was this original hydrogen atom or element consciously created? Aha, that's getting into a whole... <laughs> was it consciously created? I mean, implying was there a creator? Um, I, I don't go in that direction myself, but I would say that you cannot even rule out that that we're not even talking about consciousness now, we're just saying there's an interior aspect to everything which becomes consciousness as it evolves. One would have to say that all matter has, contains that potential, but it's not to say that a hydrogen atom is conscious in any way, but, it, but that potential is there and it begins to, in the same way we wouldn't say a hydrogen atom is living, but it has that potential to become living as it collects together into more and more complex molecules that potential is there. So it has, you know, what some people call proto-consciousness. You know, the, seed, the seeds of it are there all the way through. Sounds so strange, tell, but so it tell actually... Tell us a little bit about, in your, in your own experience, of uh, when you went uh, east and, and connected with the mystics, I suppose, uh, in that, on that journey, in terms of uh, experiencing uh, levels of consciousness, this obviously your, your inner world begun to unfold, having already studied the science. So tell us a bit about how that unfolded for you. Um, yes, I was... Well, as a scientist, I, I'd rejected religion when I was a kid. Um, I was brought up as a um, you know, regular Church of England Protestant and sort of went to church once a month, which was probably seemed to be good enough for our sins. At about age 13, <laughs> I went through the process of confirmation, and I suddenly realized I was meant to believe all this stuff. And I just 
thought, this is crazy. I can't believe this stuff. You know, I thought it was just like <laughs> you know, some myth or something. But you know, I, mean, I was meant to take it seriously. And, um, you know, the virgin birth and Jesus ascended into heaven and all this stuff. And I thought, God, no. So I rejected religion. And in India, 10 years later, 15 years later, I went through some major shifts. I realized there was something to spirituality. Not so much religion. I mean, I see religion is what happens to spirituality when you leave it at the mercy of a culture for a thousand years. It becomes distorted and almost owned by the culture. But I think the original spirituality, I see it now in so many teachings. This is something that's fascinated me now to see what is the common core of all the world's spiritual traditions. And they're all really about consciousness. They're all about the human experience, the mind, and saying, in one way or another, what they're saying is, we live in a very limited mode of consciousness. We're cut off from our true self. We start believing that if we can just get the world right and have the right things, whether it's wealth or people, relationships or status, whatever it is, we'll be happy. And we get caught in a very egocentric, materialistic mode of consciousness. And they're all pointing to this in one way or another. They use different languages and examples. But I think all the great teachers have seen the problems with this, the damage it does to ourselves and to society. And they're, they're people who have woken up, we could say, to the actual truth and realizing that you know, we can be you know, we, we can be content in a whole new way that there's a, there's a source of contentment inside us. We don't need to be continually going out and buying the latest games or products or clothes or fashions or cars or experiences to make ourselves happy. In fact, that detracts us and actually just keeps us caught in this loop. And they've all developed ways of helping free the person, whether it's through meditation, movement, prayer, many different ways they developed to, to free the individual. And that's what I became fascinated by because it became clear to me that so many of the problems in the world came back to the fact we were functioning in this very limited, self-centered, materialistic mode of consciousness. And if we were really going to solve the problems in the world today, we not only need to address the problems out there, we also need to address the consciousness that's creating those problems. And so that really, I came back and that's been my, I suppose, my personal mission, life purpose ever since. Congratulations, Peter. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's it, isn't it? <laughs> yep. So how, help our listeners understand, because there's, there's a, um, a lot of limiting beliefs that people have about themselves and blockages, and, and you mentioned earlier about finding our true self and that source of contentment. So help our listeners understand how they can achieve that. Um, very simply by letting the mind relax. <laughs> and that's what, I, that's what I think meditation is, is allowing the mind to simply relax. Because what I, what I think happens is we get caught in this belief that we just have to get things to be right, 
and that fuels a lot of our thinking. If you look at your thinking, so much of it is about being in control of things, getting things right, planning things, worrying about what's going to happen or not happen, or did I do the right thing? And all of that thinking actually makes the mind tense. And so for me, the art of meditation is actually letting the mind relax. And also all of that thinking takes us out of the present moment. It takes us into worrying about the past or worrying about the future. So the essence of most meditation techniques is actually bringing the mind back to the present moment, which means not following the thoughts. All the time we follow a thought, we're getting lost in thoughts about the past or the future. And what most meditation techniques do is use some aspect of experience. And the one I find easiest to teach people is just using the experience in the body, just what it feels like in your body to be sitting, you know, sitting as you may be now, just noticing the feelings in the body, things you don't normally notice, like just the way you make contact with the chair or whatever, the feeling of your clothes. And particularly one that's very easy is just noticing the, the feeling of the breath because it's always there. And that's why a lot of meditation practices use it, is just noticing noticing how, the, how it feels to be breathing, not so much concentrating because that just makes the mind tense again, not trying to focus the attention. What we want to do is relax the mind. It's just like letting the mind relax into the present and then a bit later it comes in because it's so habituated to thinking it comes in with another thought another worry and then when you notice that just coming back to just the present just being curious what's it what's it like to be just sitting here just for once stopping thinking and just noticing how it feels and what what happens when we do just stop thinking there's usually this feeling of a sense of um, ease a sense of clarity a sense of awareness um, almost a sense of relief as well and as I say it doesn't last long because soon the mind comes back in but the important thing is not to be frustrated by that that's just the way it is and so meditation is just the skill of just bringing the mind back and then not worrying if it goes off again and bringing the mind back and just gently coming back and gradually the mind begins to settle down and just begins to sit in that experience in the present much more easily. So that, to me, is the essence of meditation, is just, just letting the mind, letting the attention relax back into the present moment. But as I say, doing it in a way that's without any effort or trying, because as soon as you do that, you just make it tense again. So there's a sort of a, a training program of, of learning how to relax yes. of the mind. Exactly. Yeah. It's almost like it's an undoing of so much of the training we have in life. So much of the training is do, try, try harder, <laughs> make it happen. You can't do that with meditation. You have to just let it happen on its own. You have to allow it to happen. And It's almost like you have to get out of the way and do that by just coming back and just, as I say, just being aware, being aware of just what's happening in your experience. And the, and the body is so fundamental because that's really, you know, that's the basis of our being is, is our body. And so just being aware of the sensations in the body, whatever they are, without judgment, you know, even if there's some tension there, if you notice some tension, just noticing it, just being curious. What's it feel like rather than thinking, oh, I shouldn't be feeling that. 
that's the mind coming in again. It's like, oh, there's a tension in my shoulder. What's that feel like? Oh, I see. It's like that. And very often, as you do that, the mind just begins to relax again and the tension just begins to unwind a bit. So, Peter, we're actually coming up to our second break and we'll take that break now. It's Peter Tung for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. Taking you to the threshold of a dream and beyond. Seventh Wave Network. Do you want to reach your highest potential in your personal and business life? Come and join our heart-centered community with Peter Tung and Sherry Chase. Embrace love, abundance, integrity, and personal empowerment in a safe and sacred space for your awakening. Our intention is to lay the groundwork for you to advance your awareness efficiently, to be fully involved in the conscious co-creation of peace and prosperity on our beautiful planet. Go to MyHeartCenteredJourney.com for more information. Listening on a higher dimension. Seventh Wave Network. You're listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tong. I have with me today Peter Russell, who is talking to us about consciousness and before the break, we were talking about uh, meditation. And I'm going to ask Peter actually to lead us in a short meditation to include some of those uh, features he talked about in, in guiding us through a short meditation. But before we do that, Peter, perhaps you could tell our listeners your website and any information about any upcoming events you have uh, on the go. Yes, um, my website is it's called The Spirit of Now, but the address is very simple. It's just peterrussell.com. Just my name, PeterRussell.com. The important thing is two L's on the end of Russell. It's spelt that way rather than one L. So it's two L's on the end of Russell. Otherwise, you'll end up somewhere else. So PeterRussell.com. <laughs> okay. um, all the information is there. I've yep. got lots of things. I've, there's probably about 400 pages there now, and some of my books are up there online, and um, there's, there's various videos I've made, and there's interactive things as well. You can find out your age in days. A lot of people like that. And the age in days, yes. Yeah. I think I'm 21,000 days old, over 21,000 days yeah. old. Yeah. <laughs> I spent some time on, on Peter's uh, website, and there's phenomenal information. This is not an easy topic or area to discuss, and Peter does it absolutely superbly, both through uh, his writing and, and some of the audio uh, tapes that are there. So I do encourage you to go to PeterRussell.com and, and uh, look up Peter's work. And Peter, yeah, this, this having done that wonderful well, description, having done that wonderful description before the break, uh, it would be great if you could lead us in a, a short meditation so you can actually demonstrate how this works for people. And okay. in doing so, I must obviously ask anybody who's driving not to do so <laughs> and pull over and, uh, Keep and your whatever you are open. doing, just make sure you give yourself a, a few minutes uh, in your own time. So, Peter, over to you. Okay. 
yes, if you're driving, keep your eyes open and don't listen to just don't take this <laughs> seriously. Um, but otherwise, if you're just at home, it's always good to close the eyes just because so much information comes through the eyes. And just as soon as we close the eyes, automatically we just notice a little quietening. We become more internal. And so just doing that, just closing the eyes and just noticing how it feels inside. And you probably notice you know, thoughts going around your mind, etc. But don't, don't bother about them. Just, just notice just notice the body and just notice the various points at which you're making contact with the world, the various ways in which you know, you're touching the world, whether it's your feet on the floor or your, your back against the chair, whatever it is, it doesn't matter, just noticing those sensations which are already there but we don't normally notice. So it's just really noticing what is there in the moment. And it may be the touch of your clothes against the skin, or you may feel a breeze. It doesn't really matter. It's just opening your awareness to the present moment, to the actual physical experience of sitting here. And as I said earlier, if you notice as you do that, any tensions in the body, just be aware of them. Don't judge them or block them out or try to get rid of them, but just include them as part of what is there. There's no right or wrong. We're just noticing what's there. And also just include the experience of breathing, just noticing the normal, natural process of breathing, not trying to do anything with it, but just, just noticing how it feels, whether it's the rising of the chest, rising and falling of the chest or the stomach or the feeling of the air in the nostrils, whatever it is. Sometimes there's a sound with it as well. Just noticing your breathing, and just and just really just just let the mind relax into that experience. Just that relaxing into noticing the various sensations of just sitting here quietly breathing, not trying to make anything happen or get anywhere in particular. And whenever you do notice that your mind has wandered off on some thought, just gently just bring the attention back to being here now, just coming back to the experience of the breath as you just sit here quietly. And for this practice, it's just as simple as that. Just whenever you find yourself wandering off, just very gently coming back to the breath, but without any attempt to hold the attention there. We're just letting the mind just rest in that experience in a very relaxed way. And as you continue doing this, this is only a very short time now, but if we were doing this for like 10 or 15 minutes, what you notice is gradually the thinking gets less and less, thoughts come in less, and you begin just to relax more and more into just the experience of just being here in the moment.
the important thing is not to try to control it and not to worry about thoughts coming in. They will do. Everybody has thoughts. People at the beginning say, oh, I can't meditate. I have too many thoughts. But that's quite normal. The skill of the practice is just this thing of very, very gently, without any effort, just bringing the attention back into the present moment, bringing it back to the experience of sitting here. probably just leave it there for the moment otherwise yeah, certainly we'll spend thank the you. whole of the program doing it but there are <laughs> on my website there's some, there's some meditations as well there that you can go to which cover similar ground so why is it that the uh, what have you discovered in terms of the mind and the ego and, and why it continues to play tricks with us or to try and keep us engaged what is that about have you come to a conclusion around that yes um, it, it's paradoxical really it's like I think what we call the ego I actually call it the ego mind it's a way of thinking rather than I don't find there's a thing called the ego when I look inside myself I don't find something I can call the ego what I do find is I get caught up in a way of thinking and that way of thinking is something that's built up by habit I call it the ego mind and it's basically wanting to look after us. It's trying to take care of us, and it thinks it has our best interests at heart. And so it's, it's worrying about, you know, how will things be in the future? What does somebody think of me? How do I get this right? So it's continually looking, actually, to try and improve things for ourselves in one way or another. And most of the time, it's totally unnecessary I think it was Mark Twain who said my life has been full of terrible catastrophes most of which never happened <laughs> yeah we imagine all these things but they're actually we spend a lot of time worrying about things that actually never happen or you know we worry about what are we going to say when we meet somebody and we meet them and they, they start the conversation in a totally different direction so not only, not only does it waste a lot of time it actually does the opposite of what we want because, you know, it's trying to look after us and make sure we're going to be happy. Which, you know, that's the fundamental thing we're looking for is to be happy, to be at peace, to be content, to be comfortable. And ironically, what it does is make us more stressed and tense. I mean, a mind that is worrying, by definition, cannot be a mind that is at peace and at ease. And so... The sort of sad joke is that we are so busy worrying about whether or not we're going to be happy at some time in the future, we take away the very possibility of being at peace in the present moment. And so that's why I think techniques of meditation are so important, because they take us out of this worrying mind so that we can actually be at peace in the present. And the conclusion I've come to is that the mind in its natural state, when it's not disturbed by worry, thinking, anxiety, hoping, fantasies, 
when everything is fine, that's what I call the mind in its natural state, is already at peace. We don't have to actually go anywhere to find peace of mind. What we have to do is stop all the interference that we create for ourselves that keeps us tense and out of this state of natural mind. So talk about when you actually get to that point, that stillness of mind of, I suppose it's called samadhi in some traditions, but what, what that's actually like when you get there? Um, it's, there's, there's different qualities of it, but for the normal sort of the first thing that people notice is there's this sense of ease. It's like, ah, a sense of relief. And it's almost like it, it's, there's an, you notice the peace that's there. And there's also this, this feeling, it's like, oh, you know, this was always here. It was always possible. I just realized I've been keeping myself away from it. So it's this feeling of, like, this, is, this feels completely natural. And how could I not have, you know, noticed this? It's almost like, it's almost laughable in some ways. So there's almost a familiarity about it then? Yes, yes, there's a familiarity it's like oh yes this is i know this i know this and and it's like oh isn't it delightful almost luscious just to be (laughs) sitting back in myself without worry and yes it's, it's very very pleasant and usually with that there's also an opening of the heart because i think we our hearts get shut down by our worry anxiety and judging and all of that and so what often happens in this state is there's a feeling of just a sort of gentle opening of the heart and a sort of a sense of lovingness not loving anything or particular but just that sort of feeling of the open heart which is just a quality of of love in our being and and that sort of afterwards i think you know we just feel more caring about things it's a very natural feeling it feels very natural. I mean, that, that's the best way I put it. It just feels very natural state. And then, you know, you come out from that into the world and I think able to just act in a much easier way without being, you know, overly concerned about what's going to happen to me, what am I doing, what am I getting, what are people thinking. You have, a, you have an inner stability because you're you're touching into really a deeper sense of who you are beyond the ego mind which is continually telling you who you are in terms of you know how other people see you and what you're doing and what your profession is and what your character is this is a, like a true sense of your being like ah oh, yes, this is me this is this deep sense of just meanness that doesn't have any individual qualities it's a sense of just being that has been there all your life. And, you know, we, we touch into it at times, but it's just touching into that sense of, yeah, I would call it meanness, beingness, that's always there, which doesn't change. I mean, it's interesting, you know, we're, I'm the same, in some ways, I'm the same person as I was 20, 30, 40 years ago. It's like that sense of being me hasn't changed. My, what I do, my thoughts, my beliefs, my personality, that may all have changed, but the I that has those hasn't changed. And so it's touching into that, that beingness, the essence of who we are. Peter, we're coming up to our final break, and that was a beautiful uh, description. I really, really appreciate both 
talking about the ego mind and that state of stillness and calmness. Thank you so much. This is Peter Tung for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. Taking you to the threshold of a dream and beyond. Seventh Wave Network. Do you want to reach your highest potential in your personal and business life? Come and join our heart-centered community with Peter Tung and Sherry Chase. Embrace love, abundance, integrity, and personal empowerment in a safe and sacred space for your awakening. Our intention is to lay the groundwork for you to advance your awareness efficiently, to be fully involved in the conscious co-creation of peace and prosperity on our beautiful planet. Go to MyHeartCenteredJourney.com for more information. Be Extraordinary. Seventh Wave Network. listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tong. Just a reminder, we've got this fabulous trip organized in the second half of February to Egypt, going to all of the sacred sites with uh, Finbar Ross, who's extremely experienced both in Egypt and many other sacred sites around the world. And I will be uh, co-hosting that sacred journey with him. Uh, and all the details you can find at www.celticmysticaljourneys.com. And uh, look forward to uh, chatting with people about that, uh, that journey that's available uh, the journey of a lifetime, I think it will be, actually, because we are moving into some really interesting times, and I would love to hear my guest today, Peter Russell's views on what actually is happening in the world today in terms of consciousness and the shift of the ages at this time. So, Peter, what's going on as far as you're concerned in our world at the moment? Uh, I think in terms of the bigger picture, and I'm always sort of interested in the bigger picture and how our individual awakening fits into that, We've been on a, a materialistic trajectory. Our whole culture has been on this trajectory of you know, improving the material conditions, just trying to make things better and better in the physical world. And we've done, we've done absolute wonders. We just realized, you know, 500 years ago, the quality of life, you know, before we had sanitation and, you know, en- engines we had to work in the fields, you know, or even just you know, how things have changed in the last, in our own lifetimes. So we're, we're on this accelerating curve of just making things better and better and better. And yet the consciousness behind it is the same old consciousness of like, if only we could do more, if only we could, you know, have more money, if only economic growth could be kept up, if only we, you know, just did this. And the problem is that is creating a whole set of crises. I see the whole global crises that we're in stem from this materialistic way of thinking 
and that's why we are, in a way, abusing the planet, causing so much damage in so many different ways, because we're in this self-centered way of thinking. And clearly, this cannot go on. And I think this is the essence of the crisis we're coming up against. We call it a global crisis or an economic crisis or an international crisis. They all come down in the end to a crisis of consciousness. And we have to see this. We have to see that we have to collectively step out of the old way of consciousness into the way we've been talking about on this program, which is the way that so many spiritual teachers have seen. And what I find fascinating is, at the same time as this crisis is appearing in front of us, more and more people are turning to look within themselves, to look at how can I just awaken myself? How can I transform myself? How can I let go of these old ways of thinking and actually become you know, a much saner, wiser, more compassionate, more loving and easy human being? And we are learning this collectively. I think this is what makes these times so fascinating. In the past, you know, there may have been individual teachers, spiritual teachers, but today we have millions and millions of people, each in their own way, undergoing this exploration, waking up in some way or other, and sharing this with others, whether it's just sharing it in their conversations with people at work or you know, like you through broadcasting or me through writing, we're all sharing it with each other. And so we are all learning together. And that is also on its own growth curve. And so I am fascinated by these times that we are both, you know, heading into a crisis like never before, but also I see the potential for a global spiritual awakening, which has never been possible before in history. And this, this, to me, is really exciting. And do you have any particular views on, on the, the big date everybody's talking about, December 21st, 2012? Do you have any views around that? No, I don't think there's anything significant there personally. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of people talk about it, but um, there's very little evidence to suppose it's going to be anything. I think it's just going to be another day. <laughs> I think people get excited by it because it's, um, I think it's a symbol for the times we're passing through. So I don't put any emphasis on that particular day, but I think the times we're in are times of great change, great transformation. And, and a, uh, an acceleration of awakening and therefore uh, an evolution of consciousness. Exactly. And I think this, this is going on now and it's going to be going on in the coming years, yes. I don't I'd like to hear your, uh, your comments on uh, synchronicity. That seems to become a big part of how this awakening takes place. Yes, if, um, and synchronicity, I mean, Jung coined the term for meaningful coincidences, and I think we've all had many of those in our lives, how, you know, just we bump into the person we need to bump into at the right time, or we come across a book, or the telephone rings, or whatever it is. And they always seem to, in one way or another, support our growth. And I find almost everything significant in my life has happened through some coincidence, some synchronicity or other. Despite all my planning, my life has worked out wonderfully. <laughs> my planning, thank God, you know, <laughs> my little consciousness doesn't know quite the best thing at all. 
And what I've noticed is that the more settled I am in myself, the more at peace I am in myself, the more synchronicity happens. If I'm stressed and frazzled and running around like a headless chicken, I don't get much synchronicity. But if I'm calm and centered, then it seems to happen. And so it really seems to be a reflection of our own state of spiritual awakening, how much synchronicity is happening in our life. And do you have a sense of what it actually is from a, a consciousness or even a scientific perspective? Um, I don't really. Um, it's interesting. Jung said it was without cause. It was a cause or it's just something that just happens. And I think you know, our materialistic thinking wants to explain everything, how it's caused. And I don't have any explanation for how it happens. As I say, I think it might even be wrong to try and explain it. But what seems important is to know how to encourage it. And we encourage it, I think, by just keeping ourselves open, contacting that inner peace in ourselves, touching into our own essence. The more we do that, the more we encourage it in our life. And I think that's what's important, rather than understanding what's happening. But it's clearly something to do with consciousness. Clearly something to do with consciousness. Well, Peter, we're actually at the end of our time. It's, the time has gone extremely quickly, but you've given us an absolutely fascinating insight. And I'm, I so applaud you for making that shift from the mathematical physics uh, beginning into this very, very significant and important work that you're doing now in consciousness. And thank you so much for joining me today on the show. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. It's been a great show, Peter. Thanks, Peter. really appreciate it. Thank you. So we continue on this theme next week with Florian Schlosser, who will be talking about the consciousness of love and freedom and how there's this incredible rhythmic wave that flows between the connection, as Peter was talking about today, with ourselves within and our inner consciousness and how we also translate that into our connection to other human beings on the planet as we connect through our hearts to other members of humanity. I hope you've enjoyed today's show. I think it's a really important one for all of us to understand. So good luck with your relaxed awareness meditations. Have a wonderful week. This is Peter Tung for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. that you found this week's show to be enlightening and inspiring. Please join host Peter Tong for another edition of Awakening to Conscious Creation next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, Noon Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network.